awesome to just be able to worship God with friends and family and people that you love. My name is Pastor Todd Switch. I'm the lead pastor here with my wife, Jan. And again, for some of you, maybe you haven't seen us. You maybe come in in the last few weeks. We were on holidays uh, for about a month, and we just had a great time being recharged and refreshed. But who here knows you get to that spot, even on vacations, as good as they are, where you're just Look forward to coming home. And uh, I, I just want you to know it, it is so good to be home. It's so good to be in Calgary. It's so good to be at church with our family. And I'm just so blessed to be here today. And I want to just add on to kind of the theme here today. I know this is kind of the, the last week before we head into uh, youth camp here this year. I just want to encourage you to get your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor kids, the kids that you don't even know if you just know that they could use the blessing and experience of being at youth camp, I believe this, that God will touch their lives. God is going to touch their lives, so I want to encourage you to make sure your kids or people that you know do not miss that. Amen? All right. Well, today we're going to continue our series called The Bible Says What? Now, have you ever read the Bible or heard a scripture that you found difficult to understand? I think we all have. I think we've all, in our Bible reading, I still, after probably over 40 years of walking with Jesus, I still come across things that sometimes I go, what? what what, What's that really all about? Maybe you're like me. I I, I know that there are times when I, I read things, and it seems like that certain verses even are maybe at odds with other verses, or that they seem to contradict things that you feel you know or you think that you know about God or Jesus. Or, or maybe at times you come across something that, that, that you find out that you initially believed about a scripture, but then you begin to study it further and you, rele- you realize that what you initially believed is completely the wrong thing. One of those scriptures for me was Romans chapter 12, verse 20. And we're going to just start off with there. This isn't what I'm going to preach about. It's going to how I'm going to open this today just to kind of give you a feel for what we're going to do. And it says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard this, and I was a younger Christian, I'm, I mean, I think I might have even been a teenager, I, I thought this was an awesome theme, th- thing. Think about this. You, are, you have an enemy, and somebody that has offended you, somebody maybe you don't like very much, and the Bible says this, that when you actually do something kind to them, it's like burning coals just get dumped on their head. I, I mean, I had this picture like one of the Avengers movies, you know, the scene where, where, where there's just molten sulfuric rock and bombs and things that's dropping on people's heads. I mean, it, it's like God is getting them. I was like, yeah, I like that. I mean, maybe you're not like me, but I, I sometimes feel like I just want to see, yeah, God smite that person, just smoke them, you know, they're bad. Well, as I began to understand more of what the scripture said, I discovered that's not actually what the Bible was saying. Uh, I kind of maybe was disappointed for a few seconds. But here's what this scripture really was about. In Middle Eastern, in, in Bible times, a Middle Easterner needed to keep his, his house, his hut, his tent warm. And so what they do is they would have 
coals inside of the fire and they would want to keep those things warm. But sometimes through neglect or just uh, somebody missed something, the coals could go out. And so the picture here that God is trying to paint is that somebody is going to their neighbor and saying, would you please help me? I, I, don't, I don't have anything to keep my family warm. I don't have anything to do. And so the way that they would carry these coals is they would have a, a bucket that they would put on top of their head. And so the idea here was that the, that the person would fill that bucket so full of coals in the hopes that there would be some that would stay warm by the time they got to his house that would overflow onto the person. And, and, and yeah, maybe it burned them a little bit, but the idea was that, that there was to bless them and to be super um, incredibly kind to them. Kind of like how God is kind to us. The way that he gives us and he lavishes upon us his forgiveness and his love and the way that he wants to bless our lives so that it, it pours out and it's just overflowing into every area of our life. That's the picture that Paul was trying to create when he wrote this in Romans so here's the scripture today that we're going to dig into. And I want to ask you this question. Did Jesus really come to bring peace or did he come to bring a sword? You see, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, we have this scripture that has often caught my eye. It's something that I've, I've wondered about. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, and I'm going to read to you out of the New International Version. It says this, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What does Jesus really saying here, is he saying that he came to make war? Is he, or that he arrived to promote violence? Is, is, that, is that what he's talking about here? At first glance, it would seem that he was declaring that he would be a warrior king like the great conquerors that we know about in history that have conquered lands and peoples and all this. Now, again, if you go back and you understand the mindset of, of the Jewish people at this time who he initially came to first, they would have been like, yeah, that's what we want. We want we're, we're believing that our Messiah, our Savior, he's going to come back and he's going to restore our country, our nation, so that they're the, we're the most powerful nation on the earth and we're going to defeat all of our enemies. That would have been their mindset. But is that what he is really talking about here? You see, the scripture seems at odds with so much of how he lived and how he taught that we should live. In fact, I want to say this, there's not one account in the Bible of Jesus ever handling a sword. We, we, we don't see that. We don't see that. We don't know if he even had a sword in fact, the only thing that I hear where Jesus even talked about the sword besides the scripture is the night that he was being rounded up by his adversaries, by the, the, by the Sanhedrin, the people that were in the council that were, the next day was going to be crucified. We have this instance where Peter, one of his disciples, as they're rounding him up, you know, gets really zealous for Jesus. He grabs a sword and he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. And what does Jesus say to him? He actually chastises him and he rebukes him and he says this, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You can find that in Matthew chapter 6 verse 52 if you want to look up where that story is. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how we're going to respond here. So if that's not what Jesus was talking about, then what did Jesus mean when he said, 
Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I do not, not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, as we dig deeper, we see that Jesus is not advocating a physical war, which is what the Jews were hoping for, but he's describing the inner challenge that his belief system would create inside of the heart of man. That when he came down to earth, that he was not only declaring war on just the, 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 our own hearts and our own will, but he's declaring war to the forces of darkness that were ruling people's lives and that were actually controlling them. And he was saying that if you're going to follow me, that the, by its very nature would create conflicts not only with the people around you, but also inside of you. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say as we read verses 35 and 36. So here's what he says. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Wow. (laughs) Jesus, man, that's exciting. I want to hear you keep preaching that. Jesus, that sounds awesome. Well, what's the context? Who is he talking to? Who is he sharing this with? Well, he was at a stage in his ministry where his disciples had been with him for quite a bit of their their lives, or the, the, the last year or so. And he had picked up and accumulated many more people that were, were saying, you know what, because of this radical teaching about forgiveness and compassion and people had seen the miracles and seen him heal the sick, they were like, we want to be a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus was saying, Here, here's what I want you to know. Not only uh, do I want you to understand this, but that as a follower of me, I want you to go out and teach people, first of all, the same things I've taught you. And I'm going to send you out, he's telling his disciples this, I'm going to send you out with the same power and authority that I have to heal the sick and to see the oppressed, the demonically oppressed, to have them set free. I'm giving you this power and this authority. But you also need to understand this, that as you go forth, you're going to face some challenges in your life because of this ministry. That you're going to face both opposition internally inside of your heart as well as externally from people that are around you. You see, there's a battle that's going on and it's been going on forever of who's in control of your heart. Who's in control of your heart? Who's in charge here? You see, there's been a battle for the souls of men. Now, I I don't know about you. I just was, as I was preparing this, I, I had this thought. Who here has ever been in a situation where you worked in a situation where two people were in charge? You know, there wasn't one boss, there was two bosses. What was that like? Was that a good experience for you? I doubt it. Most of us don't work very well when there's, we don't know who's in charge or there's two people trying to tell you what to do. You see, here's what I want you to know. When there's two people in charge, there will always be conflict. It's guaranteed. I, I promise you that there will always end up being conflict. I, I know that I've had this happen when I've done a school project. Or, or, or how about this? It's one of the greatest challenges of parenting, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you get that little precious bundle of joy, and they're so little and they're so small, but there's a battle that goes on. Who's the boss? 
It's amazing that our, our kids are a very young. They want to be in control. And as they get older, that's part of, the, the, of growing up. It's pushing and it's asserting for more authority and responsibility. And you try to teach them if you want the authority, you got to take the responsibility. And there's this tug of war that goes on. But as a good parent, you sometimes got to stand up and say, uh-uh, I'm the boss now. One day you'll be the boss, but today I'm the boss. Why? Because you can't have two boss. It just doesn't work like that. I know even in my own life that a couple years ago, we got this little five-pound furry ball of nothing, this little chihuahua. I can't believe this. My dog thinks she's the boss. She wants to boss everybody, and I have to remind, no, you're not the boss. You're cute, but you're not the boss. I'm the boss. You see, the very nature of the gospel message goes against the grain of our personal will. See, you will either yield to Jesus or you will serve yourself. And because of the nature of the gospel message, I want you to understand this, it will many times put you in conflict with sometimes the people that are the closest to you. When I first became a youth pastor, this is many years ago, um, I had the privilege of being able to um, oversee a Bible study at Crescent Heights High School. And, and it started with just a handful of kids, mostly from uh, our youth group here. And, and so we began to meet. And we began to pray that, that God would begin to touch uh, uh, people in the high school. And guess what happened? People started getting saved. People started becoming followers of Jesus. And all of a sudden, we went from like five. We had like 35, 40 kids coming at lunchtime to this classroom. And, and so one of the days, I, was, I asked this question to the kids. I was like, I just wanted them to, to share, what is your, your biggest challenge in following Jesus? What's the biggest challenge you face? And so some of the usual suspects came here, fear of what people think of me. You know, I'm afraid that, that if people know I'm a Christian or I get too excited about being a Christian, that, that people are going to make fun of me or strain in some of their friendships because they're now wanting to live this way. They got friends that are trying to pull them the other way. But what, one of the miracles that happened is that we had, a, had a, 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 at least 10 to 15 of these kids that were coming were kids that came from Buddhist families. And they began to share that their biggest challenge was that because they had decided to serve Jesus, they were no longer welcome in their homes. Their parents didn't want anything to do with them. You see, there was a great cost to their decision of saying, you know what, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I know even from my own life that, that my faith put me in conflict, direct conflict with my dad, who wasn't a believer at that time. He thought I was a fool for wanting to serve Jesus. He didn't understand what I was doing. At times, he would make fun of me, and he especially could not understand when I was in my last year of high school why I decided to quit playing baseball to, be, to serve in our youth ministry. It just, he was like, I thought, he thought I was the dumbest kid on the planet. And I totally blew his mind when I said, you know what, I want to go to Bible college. Oh, he's like, why would you want to waste your time with something like that? And you can only imagine, believe me, when I first became a pastor, what he thought of that. You see, at times when we decide to serve God and yield to God, it can put us in conflict with those who are closest to us. This is what Jesus was speaking about. Many of you probably have your own story of how your faith has put you in conflict with 
people that are around you. Maybe for some of you, it's your kids. Some of your kids that maybe grew up in the church, they don't want to serve God right now. And there are things that you, you just can't talk about or you don't talk about because it's too difficult. It's created this division. Not that you want a division, it's just there. I say this, those who surrender their will to Jesus will always be at odds to those who do not. However, the greatest battle we face is not with people, but within ourselves. Who rules my heart? Who rules your heart? Who's ruling your heart today? Who's in charge? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we get a description of the sword that Jesus is actually talking about when he said he didn't come to bring peace, but the sword. Because it says this in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. If I could say this, that Jesus isn't talking about a sword, he is the sword. You see, he, when he came to earth, he, he knew that his very presence, the, the things that he would teach us, the things that he would, he would ask of us when he became the living word of God, he says, you see, the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus is actually saying, look, I am the living word. I'm going to be that sword that divides truth from lies. I'm going to be the sword that will divide light from darkness. I'm going to be the, the sword that actually exposes what is of the flesh and those things that are of the spirit. That is what I'm going to do. He's going to, he said, I'm going to be the sword that will contrast his will with our will. And Jesus really wanted us to understand that you cannot truly be a follower of me, he says, and not be faced with the challenge of being changed. I believe this, and I don't know if you believe this, but I'm hoping that you do. I'm hoping that I encourage you that following Jesus should lead to a different way of living. You cannot be around the man Jesus and stay the same. You see, the very nature of his truth and righteousness will rub against those desires and thoughts that oppose the will of God in our lives. And I know this all might not be comfortable today. Bear with me because I believe this is the truth of God's word that I'm preaching. You see, when it comes to our will versus his will, and we begin to understand what his will is for our life, we, we have really three choices. First of all, we can reject it. We can say, you know what? I don't believe it. I'm not going to live that way. And there are a lot of people that that's how they walk out their life. They, they, they've heard the truth, but they're like, no. I don't want it. I'm not, I'm not going to follow that. Or we can fight it. Now, the truth of the matter is, when, when, because we're human beings and God begins to challenge things in our life and things in our heart, you know, we don't always initially just go, hey, come on, let's go for this. Sometimes we wrestle with things. Can I tell you this, that wrestling is part of life? Maybe some of you are wrestling with some things right now. You're okay. God is with you. Just continue to let him work in your heart. But don't Give up. Don't walk away. Don't reject it. Wrestle with it. And then when the time is right, I believe this, that we can embrace it or yield to it. You see, people don't like to change, especially if it means giving up 
control in our lives. We fight against it, and we fight against those who support it. And I say this, we have to understand this, that there will always be a war between our flesh and God's will. Until we go into eternity, we'll have to fight that battle. Now, I hope that, that, that I feel like in my life, I, I hope that I'm not fighting with God over the same things that I did 40 years ago or five years ago, that, that there's things that are happening. But I'll tell you what, as I begin to move forward in my journey, God's always showing me more parts of my life where he's like, you know what, Todd, here's another area that I want you to give me, and I have to kind of walk through that and work through it. You cannot experience peace unless you fully yield to his will. Listen to this. I want, to, I want you to hear this. Peace only comes from surrender. Peace only comes from surrender. Isn't that the ongoing challenge, submitting our lives or yielding our lives to God's will? You see, this is the battle that, that Jesus is talks about as we move forward here in the, as we begin to look at just three battles that I believe each one of us has to overcome if we want to experience God's peace. I want you to listen to this as I read this in Matthew 10, verse 37. It says this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Man, I'm not feeling... Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What are the three battles that each of us must win in order to experience peace? Number one, the battle to love Jesus more than anything else. Two weeks ago, Pastor Peter shared a message about loving Jesus more than even our, our parents, than even our children. In fact, he, he used the text where this is written from a little different perspective where Jesus actually said, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your father and hate your mother. And it was like, wow, that's pretty extreme. You know, does he really want us to hate our father and mother? No, that's not the truth. But what he's saying is, as much as these people are important to you, as much as you love them, as much as you, 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 you want to see them, and I mean, I, 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 I get it, I understand it, that Jesus is saying, you got to love me more. Now, I still remember over 18 years ago when this precious little girl, this gift God gave to my wife and I came into the world. She was beautiful. She was tiny. I mean, I, 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 I was like, I can't be more in love with anything than my, my daughter right now. I remember driving home from the hospital. I, I, I swear, I, I think I went 20 kilometers per hour under the speed limit. And any car that like got close, I'd be like, get, get out of the emergency flasher. I mean, it was like, you'd have thought it was like a funeral procession for a dignitary or so. It was like, what's going on here? I didn't, want, I, I didn't want anybody, anything to happen to her. I didn't think there could anything be more perfect. However, the challenge is, and the challenge always will be, and Jesus said, you can love her lots, but you've got to love me even more. Amen. Yeah. We have to love him more than anything, more than money, 
more than our comfort, more than our success, more than anything else in our lives, even our mom. Okay, I just threw that in there. You see, what most of us know what I'm saying is true. As I, as I talk about this, most of us know in our heads that what I'm saying, yeah, pastor, I, I, I get it. I, 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 I agree with you in principle. But when it comes to actually our heart, when it comes to actually the way that we, it's a battle. We, we struggle with this. And, and we, we battle at times with, well, I, I need more money to take care of me, but, but God, you're asking me to give it away. And it's like, we, we have these wrestling or, or God, I got to trust you with my kid. I, 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 and we, we, get, we worry and we stress and God's saying, I want you to love me more. Here's my question for you. How are you doing with loving Jesus above everything else? Where are you at in your life right now? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all other things will be added to you. Do you, do you see this? That what, what Jesus is really trying to say is if we make him our first priority, if we put him above everything else, he's saying, I'll take care of all the rest. But isn't that the challenge to believe that all the time? To actually live that out all the time? I know that I struggle with it more than I would like to think. And one of the challenges that I believe that we, we, we struggle with even as Jesus followers at times is how much of my life can I hold on to but still have Jesus a part of my life? How much can I hold on to the things that I really want and kind of hold back on it and we're, we're, uh, because I don't want to go to hell. I, I, I want to have a relationship with you. I, I, I don't want to lose out on his blessing. And so we, we play this game sometimes of cat and mouse instead of saying, God, everything in my life belongs to you. Amen. You see, when I study the early church, the early believers couldn't afford to live this way. Why? Because to be a Christian in the Roman Empire eventually became an offense that was punishable by death. You had the Jewish people that were chasing him down because they didn't like what Jesus had done and, and that you weren't even to discuss his name and it was an offense that was punishable by death so nobody just kind of took this on willy-nilly, casually they were, when you decided to be a Christian you had to be all in you had to give everything to Christ because it costs too much I believe this, we lose our passion and our peace when we do not put Jesus first in our lives. It will produce deadness and unfulfillment inside of us. Some of the most miserable times I've experienced in my life is when I live for myself, when I try to put myself first. And there's a lie that's out there today that somehow you can do whatever you want and live the way that you want and you're going to be be able to experience the fulfillment and peace of God. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not true. The only way that you can experience the peace of God is by complete surrender to him and his will. So here's the second battle that each one of us has to win is the battle to pick up our cross or the battle to pick up our cross daily. Now the cross for Jewish and Roman people was a symbol of death, shame, and punishment. However, for Jesus, this went much deeper. It was a place where he chose to submit his will 
to the will of his heavenly Father. The man Jesus, and we have to know this, here's a little bit of theology for you, that when Jesus was on the earth, he was 100% man as well as being 100% God. So he experienced pain. He experienced hunger. He experienced loneliness. He experienced frustration. He experienced even some anxieties in his life. He experienced all of these things because he had human feelings and emotions and all of that stuff. And so when it came to knowing that he was to die on the cross, we, we see from Scripture it was not something that he wanted to do. In fact, the Bible talks about that he became so distressed that he actually sweat blood out of his pores. Now I read from some scientific books about this whole scenario and they're like, yes, if somebody's under an extreme intense amount of stress, they li- this, this is a, something that can physically happen. So we know he was in anguish over what he was going to have to do the next day. But not only that, we know that he asked God, he said, God, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, would you please do it? He didn't want to have to die. But then what did he say? Not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Let's get that right. Not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus yielded and submitted himself to being crucified in a violent, brutal, ugly way. He was beaten. He was shamed. He was literally almost torn limb from limb. I mean, the the beating was so bad. And he poured out all of his blood for us. And aren't you thankful today that Jesus yielded his life to the will of the Father? So then Jesus says, Each one of us has to pick up our cross. Well, what is our cross? Is he saying that we need to be crucified like he was on a a tree, that we need to go up, be put on a hillside? No, that's not what he's talking about. Here's what your cross is. Your cross is anything God asks you to do that is a direct challenge to your will. That's what your cross is. God says, I want you to do that. Ooh, I don't really want to do it. That's your cross. It's maybe not retaliating when somebody criticizes you. Maybe it's being more patient with your spouse. Come on, some of you can amen, you can wink, you don't need to raise your hand, but you can amen me here. Maybe for you it's, it's um, getting up early to pray. God's talking to you about more about prayer. Maybe it's giving money to the church or another charity. That it's just hard for you. It's like a, oh, it's not something I want to do, but God's speaking to you about doing it. The list could go on and on and on and on. The, the, the reality is every one of us has a cross that Jesus has called us to bear. Now, here's a few things I want you to know about your cross. First of all, your cross is most likely different than my cross. We don't all pick up the same cross. In fact, Jesus didn't tell me to pick up your cross. He said for me to pick up my cross, that I'm called to pick up my cross. And so it's going to be different from you. Now, a few years ago, just to bring this into context, God spoke to me about that I needed to give up watching television for a season. I love TV. I would stay up late. I, I, it was just my way to let my mind go. It was just like, oh, freedom. And God was saying, I, I don't want you to watch TV for the next six months. And I think it ended up being a year that I didn't watch television. But he didn't speak to my wife about that. 
Now, that, that would have been nice if he could have at least said, Jan, you need that cross too. It would have made my life a lot easier. It would have been more. more. You see, sometimes we put, try to put our crosses on other people, but your cross is your cross, and that other person's cross is their cross. Why? Because each one of us is at different stages in our spiritual journey with God. And Jesus Jesus in his goodness is not always focusing on the same things with each one of us. We all have different things that he's working with us at. So your cross is going to be different than my cross. The next thing you need to know is that picking, oh, and I want to say this about this as well, that your, our cross can change in different seasons of life. So what my cross was 15 years ago, no television isn't the cross that I'm bearing today. I actually Watch TV now. It doesn't control my life. There are many days that I go without watching television. I typically watch just a little bit at night. It might be a sports highlight here or there because it's not a thing that controls my life anymore. God's like, I'm not worried about your heart here anymore. I've got control there. But at times, he will challenge us to to change what we're doing, and, and, and it changes in different Seasons of life, he'll actually pick up different things or remove different things in our life based on where we're at. And, he, and here's the cool thing. It's, isn't it great that God doesn't pile up everything on us all at once? You see, what you need to know is that God will never give you more than you can handle. So if God's asking you to change something in your life, he will give you the strength to make those changes. Lastly, picking up your cross is a choice or an act of your will. You always have a choice. God is looking for each one of us to learn how to willingly pick up the sacrifices that he's asking us. He desires that we get to a place where God begins to ask us to do things, even though we might wrestle with it for a bit, that we understand that he is a good God and he has our good in mind, that he's going to work good things out in our life, that he's not trying to punish us, but he's trying to see things change in our life so that more of him can come through more of us. But we have to choose to do it. Here's the last one. We're going to close with this. The third battle, and these kind of build on each other, is the battle to give up your life. Wow. Kind of, you kind of let it. Now, now this, is, this is the all in. This is the, the everything moment. I want to talk about it this way. The only thing that each one of us really has to give to God is our time. Oh, Pastor Ty, what about money? What about serving? Well, serving is time. Money actually represents time. Usually it's wages that you've earned for giving your time over for doing something or investments that you've made. So money uh, uh, or time is the one thing that each one of us have to spend each and every day. Now, why I want to talk about it this way, and Holy Spirit just spoke to me about this, this is the one thing that is equal to every man, woman, and child, regardless of race, religion, uh, where you've, uh, whether you have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of money, every single one of us is given the same 24 hours every day. I don't get more time. I have asked God to give me 25 hours in a day. Is there anybody else that's sometimes I could use more time? But the reality of it is each and every one of us only gets 24 hours in a day. Now what differentiates us 
and what we're going to see go on in our life is how we spend that time. What we do with that time. How we use that time that he gives us. Because we all get 24 hours a day. I had a teacher in high school that used to be in every class day. He'd say, time is life. And when you're out of time, and he'd never finish the statement. You see, Jesus says this, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, it's easy to interpret that Jesus is literally asking each one of us to die for him physically, but the picture is actually this, to live only for ourselves produces sorrow and emptiness. But real life comes from giving our life to Jesus-centered activities. You see, I, I've, I've watched this. I, I, I believe this. And, I, and for those of you that maybe are, are new to following Jesus, I want to save you a lot of time right now. That true joy and happiness and success in life comes from doing Jesus' things. It comes from spending more time with him in prayer and learning more about his word. It comes from loving people and serving people and reaching out to people and helping God's people and giving your, your, your resources and your time to the kingdom of God. That's where true joy comes from. I've seen very wealthy people that don't have joy in their life. I've seen people that are very successful, that are selfish, and they don't have the peace of God that I'm talking about here today. I've seen people that have accomplished many things, but unless it's for the kingdom of God, it isn't fulfilling. And I believe this, that God wants you to live a life that has great fulfillment. You see, the battle is that for each one of us is that we must choose these things. We must choose it for ourselves. And so the question, I'm going to invite Margo to come up here today. The question for each and every one of us is this. Will you choose the sword? Will you allow Jesus to freely come into your life and expose those things that are opposed to his will? Will you let him be the surgeon that cuts this out and that out? Will you allow him to be the one who's in control of your heart. You see, that's the battle for all of us, isn't it? Do you love Jesus more? Are you picking up your cross every day? Are you willing to give your life?